Miranda was born premature and spent six weeks in the neonatal intensive care unit. At her nine-month checkup, Miranda's paediatrician told her parents to keep an eye on a dark patch of skin on her thigh and to let him know if she developed any more spots. By 18 months, she had developed more freckles and by the age of two, her first neurology visit was scheduled. The doctor found many more dark spots along her skin and small tumours called Lish nodules on her eyes. The doctor broke the difficult news to Miranda's family. She had neurofibromatosis. In many ways, this didn't change Miranda and her family's lives. They were still raising a lively toddler who threw tantrums and didn't like green veggies. At the same time, her parents learned to scrutinise every bump or pain that Miranda experienced. It was both the regular stress and fear of being a parent and something else. When Miranda complained about her sore knee in kindergarten, she was referred for an MRI. The MRI found a tumour running the length of her sciatic nerve, causing a constant pain. Life changed more at that point. Once Miranda moved into primary school, she displayed attentional difficulties and struggled socially with her peers. She started occupational therapy and physical therapy. Miranda is now a happy teenager, and although they keep a close eye on her, her parents are happy. a bit of an intense story isn't it that escalated quickly yes yes it did so we went from what freckles to tumors to pain yes oh no what is this well i think we'll start with the welcome so as you all know people this is genetic drift the podcast where we take a deep dive into the world of genetic diseases and try to lift the stigma surrounding them and today we're covering neurofibromatosis. What is neurofibro Oh no. What is neurofibromatosis? So neurofibromatosis is a group of conditions where tumors grow in the nervous system. Okay, you're going to have to stop right there and recap what the nervous system is for me. Okay. In simple terms, the nervous system is all the kind of wiring and electrical signals that go throughout your body. So it connects the brain, the spinal nerve, to all of these nerves that send signals to your muscles and other tissues in your body. And it's responsible for sending signals, for how you interpret the world around you, and also how you display your personality. So the nervous system is for feeling and moving, right? Um, that's a lot of it, but it's also for thinking, because your brain is part of the nervous system. It's for operating your heart, your lungs... It's the central wiring that controls you. Okay. So if you think of it as if a person was a robot, the nervous system is all of the wiring, the chips, and the computer. All of it? All of it. Okay. Nervous system is big. Yes. The nervous system is quite a large and intense system. And it works through electrical signals. Yes. Electrical signals are sent to and fro in order to get messages across the body. Because we are all actually robots. Sure. <laughs> so 
So does that help a little bit? So, I think so. So with neurofibromatosis, tumours will grow in these nerves and then that will disrupt the electrical signals that they're sending. Okay. So there are actually three types of neurofibromatosis or NF, which is probably the easier way to go about saying it now. There is NF type 1, NF type 2, and then there is schwannomatosis. That was a surprise name change. Sometimes people call it NF type 3, but most of the time it's still called schwannomatosis. And I believe it's because all the tumours happen along the insulation of the nerves, which are, which are formed by these cells that are called Schwann cells. So schwannomatosis, illness of the Schwann cells in a sense. Okay, so so NF makes tumors grow in the nervous system. Yes. When you say tumors, I think cancer. Most of these are benign, so they're a bit like when people get uh, lumps or moles. Those are tumors. They can be. They're not all, but they can be tumors. So what what is a tumor, medically speaking? A tumor is a group of cells that are growing when they're not supposed to, but they're not spreading around the body and causing it to grow elsewhere, and they don't serve a functional purpose. So, so tumours are just a group of cells that aren't supposed to be there? Yeah, and they're growing when they're not supposed to grow. Every cell has the potential to form a tumour, but we have systems in place to check the cells and control them, and if they start forming tumours, to kill them normally. But in neurofibromatosis, for different reasons, that system is not as well controlled. The cells in your body can make mistakes, and when it makes those mistakes, they might form a tumour. But you have different proteins and you have different gene checking systems that prevent you from getting to that stage. So my body could just accidentally mess up and start growing a tumour at any time? Yeah, but if it does that, your immune system often gets rid of it. Whoa. So my body is constantly fact-checking itself and checking for any mistakes. Yeah. That's why, for example, uh, in the immune system, there's a chemical released called TNF-alpha, which stands for tumor necrosis factor. So it kills tumors, or is responsible for causing a tumor to die. So my immune system is constantly out there battling tumors that I don't even know about? Yeah. Go, go, tumor fighters! Right, shall we get back to the <laughs> NF now? Okay. We took quite a detour there, didn't we? I'm funny. You know it. Yes. Rude. Anyway, because of these tumours that can grow, and because of the different types of NF, you get different symptoms with each type of NF. With NF1, you can get these light brown spots on the skin, which are sometimes called cafe au lait spots. Coffee? Yes. So just like in the case study where there was all the brown spots growing on Miranda. So do those just look like freckles or are they bigger? They are like freckles. You know like when people tell you to keep an eye on your freckles yeah. in case you grow more? That's because sometimes they could be tumours. Oh, I always thought it was for skin cancer. Cancers are tumours. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> so other symptoms that you can get are... Freckles in the armpit and groin. Small bumps within the nerves themselves. Within the nerves? 
Yes. So I told you that the、uh, tumors grow in the nerves. Yeah. This is an example of that. So why do you end up with spots on the skin? Because you have trouble controlling the tumors growth. So you're getting tumors growing in other places as well. It just predominantly affects the nervous system. Okay. You can also get other symptoms、um, such as scoliosis, learning disabilities, seizures, and you can also get a larger-than-average head size due to an increase in brain volume. Whoa, whoa! That was a really big array of symptoms, and I don't immediately understand how those are all connected. So you get. The spots on the skin, because、yes. they're actually little tumors. Yes. And then you can get scoliosis, which is that's when your spine is curved, right? Yes. How does that connect? With this one, I think it's the effect it has on your growth and development with tumors growing in the wrong place. How does it affect your growth and development? If you're growing. And cells that aren't supposed to grow in a location grow in that location. They're going to affect how that location grows. Okay. So if your spine is developing, and you grow tumors along the spine, it's going to misshape it. Oh, okay. They're getting in the way, and your body's bending around them. Yes. Oh. Otherwise, the other things I said were learning disabilities, and seizures, and a larger than average head size due to an increase in brain volume. These are all to do with tumors growing in the brain. Oh, that's bad. Yes. Brain tumors, not good. No, definitely not. But you said that not all tumors are cancerous. So, is it okay if you just have these tumors around until they're near your brain? It depends on how much they grow. If you have a large brain tumor in the brain, it could kill you because of the pressure it's putting on your brain and the damage it causes to the rest of the system. Tumors can be dangerous depending on the location they're in, but they're not cancerous if they're not able to break off and form tumors elsewhere in the body. Tumors can break off. Yes, that's what metastasizing is. That's what causes a cancer. Oh, these are things that I don't know. Okay. <laughs> okay, this is going to be a tough episode for me. There is. A lot of science that I suddenly realise I do not know. Do you want me to describe the symptoms for the other types of NF? Oh, that was one type. That was just NF one. Okay, keep going. So for NF two, you characteristically get these neural sheath tumours in the inner ear, so it can cause hearing loss. Oh no, Neur- neural sheath. So that's what surrounds the nerve. Yes, so that's the insulation that allows the signal to move more quickly through the nerve. Okay. You can also get cataracts at a young age. In your eyes. Yes. So you're getting growth along the lens that shouldn't be happening, and therefore it's covering up the lens and causing blindness in one or both eyes. As in, eye tumors. No, in this case it is a cataract. Oh, okay. Balancing issues, which makes sense if you're having nervous problems in the inner ear, and、uh, muscle wasting. As in, your muscles are weak. Your muscles break down. So the reason for this is that if you're getting a lack of nervous signal to the muscles, they're not moving as much, and therefore they're not maintaining themselves. Because your muscles very much take a use it or lose it approach, because they're very energy expensive. Okay, so if your nerves aren't Sending the signals to 
move the muscle, then it will just go, okay, I'm out. Yeah. Now let's go on to schwannomatosis. Its symptoms are mostly identical to NF2. However, you don't get sheath tumors in the inner ear. And those are the main differences between it and NF2. Okay, so with all of these different symptoms, how much of an effect does it have on somebody's life? In the story, Miranda seemed to be fairly okay. Yes, but once she got that tumour on her sciatic nerve, she was in a lot of pain. And a lot of people with NF experience chronic pain in their lives. Because the tumours keep growing along their nerves and causing pain. Yeah, so uh, what might be happening is if you have a tumour growing on the nerve, you could either stop it from firing, or it could cause it to continuously fire, depending on how it affects the nerve. Now, if it's a nerve that sends the uh, sensation of pain to your body as a warning of danger or anything like that, it's going to continuously or regularly send a pain signal to your brain. Oh no, and that's a pain you can't just get rid of with some ibuprofen gel. No, no, anti-inflammatory would not work on that. You'd need to either surgically remove the tumour or you'd need to stop the signal from being sent. So something like an opioid painkiller or a uh, or a painkiller that stops the nerves from sending the signal. So somebody with NF could be needing tons of surgeries throughout their life? Potentially. Because depends. tumors keep growing? It depends on the severity and the location of the tumor. But there's a good chance that someone with NF will need specialist pain management. So when you go to a hospital, they often have the pain team. And if you have really severe and difficult to control pain, you can get referred to them. And if you get a referral to the pain team, then they can give you a more specialized approach to managing your pain. Okay. So this condition could be really tough to live with. Yes. Thankfully, it's fairly easy to diagnose. Because of the spots on the skin? Yeah, there's a lot of visible symptoms. So you can look at a few of those symptoms and be like, I'm pretty sure this is NF. And then you do some more intense uh, diagnostic techniques in order to confirm it, which includes an MRI. So that stands for magnetic resonance imaging. And it's just a way of getting an image of what the inside of your body looks like. Okay. And with that, if they can see tumors in your nerves, then that's a pretty strong signal that you've got NF. Uh, same thing with a CT scan, which is just where they take loads and loads of x-rays as little kind of cross-section pictures and layer them all up to get an image of the inside of your body. And they can also test you with an EEG or an electroencephalogram. And that's the test when people stick those uh, little wires to someone's head to test their brain activity. Oh, okay. So if you're getting tumors throughout your life, do you need all of those little tumors to constantly be checked for cancer? You would be keeping an eye on them to see if they start getting larger and become problematic. With NF, it is unlikely that a tumor you have is cancerous, but if it grows too large, it could be a problem both aesthetically or it could cause severe pain and therefore need to be removed, or it could affect the nervous signaling that you have, which might need to be addressed as well if it puts you in any danger. Okay. Do tumours tend to be very visible? It depends on where the tumour is. 
So if the tumour is in the nerve and the nerve is deep in the body, you're unlikely to see it until it gets very large. Whilst if it's one of the nerves that's near the surface of the skin, then you will see you will see these bumps more readily. Okay, so it could really affect somebody's physical appearance. Potentially, yes. But it won't be necessarily an extreme change in someone's appearance. But it would be noticeable for the individual. Okay. Obviously, other things you can do is you can take a biopsy of any tumours that you see on someone, and you can then look at them under a microscope, which is known as histological analysis. And from that, you can tell what t- you can tell um, the type of tumour sometimes, and you can take some of the some of that biopsy then in tests, for example, to see if it is cancerous or not. And finally, you can do genetic screening, and if the person has a mutation in a specific gene, then you know that they not only have NF, but you'll know which type of NF they have. Okay. So given all that, the outlook for patients is normally relatively okay. Life expectancy is typically not affected for patients of NF1 and schwannomatosis. Oh, okay. However, NF2 does increase the risk of an early death but the life expectancy is 65, so it's not a particularly large decrease in life expectancy compared to other conditions. So you you might have a lot more tumours and they might be causing pain, but you're not much more likely to have a stroke and die? Well, there are some rare conditions that might put you at that risk, but for the Average individual with NF, no. Okay. So what genetic mutation is causing this? It's a different mutation for each type. Now, one thing that is quite different with NF and the previous ones we've spoken about is a lot of the time, these aren't inherited. They happen through random mutation. Surprise NF! Yes, they'll be the first person to get it. That's not a fun surprise. No. And where with haemophilia B, I mentioned that 30% of the time it's caused by a random mutation, the proportion is typically higher in NF. How much higher? With NF1, half the time it's a random mutation, and that's the most common type of NF. With NF2, it's between 30% and 50% of the time that a random mutation causes it. And with schwannomatosis, three in every four patients got it from a random mutation. A lot of surprise NF. Yes. This isn't something where you can typically do family history to check it. However, if a patient has inherited it, it's what's known as an autosomal dominant trait. Oh, I feel like you've given me that word before. That means it is not associated with the X or Y chromosome, and it's dominant, so if one of your parents have it, you will get it. So yes, only one copy of the mutation is needed. Yes, I'm learning things! So with NF1, the gene that's mutated is conveniently called NF1, and this is found in chromosome 17, and it encodes a tumour-suppressing protein that's called neurofibromin-1. So it's the the tumour police? 
yeah, in a sense, it's a protein that just tells the cells, calm down, let's not make a tumor. Okay. So if you have a mutation and NF1 doesn't work properly, then you're going to have more tumors. Because you don't have any tumor police. Yes. <laughs> so with NF2... Nina, Nina, here come the tumor police. Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Anyway, let's get back to this before we completely lose focus. Now for NF2, again, the gene has a convenient name. Can you guess what it is? NF2? Yes. How now, creative. I know, right? Now this one is found in chromosome 22, and where NF1 encodes a protein called neurofibromin 1, NF2 encodes a different tumour-suppressing protein called Merlin. The tumour-suppressing wizard? Might as well go with that. <laughs> so we got the tumour-suppressing police, the tumour-suppressing wizard. And if you have less Merlin in your body, you get more tumours, unsurprisingly. Because he's not there zapping the tumours. Yeah, might as well go with that. <laughs> now, with schwannomatosis... You could be one of two genes that's mutated, and both of them have mouthful names, but they are both tumor-suppressing proteins that are formed by them. They are called SMARC-B1 and LZTR1. That's a lot less fun. Yeah, and these are probably acronyms of some sort, but I didn't see the point in going through that. That's fine. So... These are yet more genes that do the same thing as the other two? Yes, they're involved in tumor suppression. This is why they're all in the same umbrella of illnesses, because they all, all the mutations have similar effects. So it's not just one protein running around your body being the tumor police, it's actually a lot of different ones? Yeah, we have a lot of fail-safes in place. Okay, but the instructions to make them is all encoded in different genes, and they all have to work together to make your body function correctly? Studying genetics seems really hard. It can be. However, genetics is the easiest stage. When you then go to the bit afterwards with how it's interpreted, it gets so much more complicated. Let's not go there. I'd rather not. Okay. So how common is NF? Well... I managed to get some numbers for this for the USA, and in the USA, NF1 is found in one in every three and a half thousand people. That seems quite common. That is fairly common. And for NF2, which is thankfully less common, it's found in one in every 25,000 people. Okay. And then schwannomatosis is noticeably rarer with one in every 40,000 people getting it. Okay. I think it's also important to bear in mind that with all of these, probably a minority of them are inherited. So if you have neurofibromatosis of any kind, you probably flip a coin, heads, it's random, tails, you got it from a family member. But if you did get it from a family member, you'd know because they have it. So a lot of surprise NF out there in the population... And a lot of families having to learn to deal with NF. Yes, a lot of families that don't know what to expect 
as this new condition is pushed upon them. And their baby is suddenly diagnosed with it. Yes. And it's usually diagnosed quite early? Yes, uh, you'd expect someone to be diagnosed as a child. Okay. Now for your least favourite section, other illnesses that are associated with NF. Oh. One of them is ADHD. ADHD? Yeah, so 30% of children with NF1 get it, and this is probably because the tumour development along the nervous system can affect neuronal development. Neuronal? Yes, so that's the development of the nerves and the brain. So if it doesn't develop properly, you may have problems with attention deficit disorder. I don't quite understand why. If the brain does not fully develop, then it would be harder to inhibit certain behavioural traits. Okay. Another condition associated with NF is called Moya-Moya disease. Moya-Moya? Yeah, it's, um, I wasn't able to find out where it got the name from, but it does kind of sound Polynesian. Yeah. This is a very rare disease. It's worth stressing. It's very rare in this group. But it's a vascular disorder, so blood vessels, that causes the blood vessels in the brain to progressively narrow. That seems like a problem if you want the blood to keep flowing. Yes, and it increases the risk of a stroke as a result, because if they keep narrowing and then close off, you lose blood supply to an area of the brain, and that's a stroke. Oh no. It's worth stressing though, that is very rare. Another fairly rare condition that you can get with NF is called malignant peripheral nerve sheath tumour. That was a lot of words, let's break that down. Okay, so malignant means cancerous, and this is a cancerous tumour that occurs on the lining of the nerves, which extends from the spinal cord into the body. Okay. So it's all the nerves that leave the spine into the body. And 10% of NF1 patients are likely to get this. And what this does is it causes persistent and severe pain. And is also cancer? Yes. So it's a cancer that causes extreme pain on top of the other problems associated with cancer. Is cancer always deadly? If you can control it, no. Oh, okay. But in order to control it, or to remove it in this case, the treatment is surgery followed by often a combination of chemotherapy and radiotherapy. That's that's pretty harsh treatment. Yes, but cancer will kill you if it's not managed, so you need to take a harsh approach. And is it harder to remove a tumour on the lining of a nerve? I don't have a good sense of where nerves are in the body. You don't want to damage the nerve tissue, so this can be a very, very tricky surgery, depending on the type of cancer and where it's located in the sheath. Okay, and I would expect nerves to be kind of like in the middle of the body, is that right? They're throughout the entirety of the body. So you could get this anywhere. Yeah. So you you would uh, you would do, use something like an MRI to locate the tumour, so you knew where you were cutting into. But then when you were removing the tumour itself, you'd want to remove as much of it as possible, get as much of the cancer away, but you don't want to damage any of the nerve, because any nerve damage you cause is permanent. And that would stop you, for instance, being able to move. Yeah. If 
if it was a nerve that fed signals to muscles in the legs, your legs would stop working. This is very serious. It is a very serious condition. So you said that can happen to about 10% of NF sufferers? 10% of NF1 sufferers, who are the majority of NF patients. Okay. And then if you have that rarer form, schwannomatosis, you can also get chronic debilitating pain that requires surgical treatment and specialist pain management. Oh no. Yeah, it's a very difficult condition to deal with. And unfortunately with that, it's time to take a break. Is it history time? Yes, it's history time. Woo! So, what's the history of this genetic disorder? Well, the earliest cases of neurofibromatosis being described, and most likely NF1, are in 1500 BC. Ooh, that's so old! Yes, in the very famous Ebers Papyrus. Cool! So that will be in Egypt? Yes. And the article I found, it specifies that it was case type 1, which means there must have been some very definitive symptoms that were noted in the papyrus. That's really interesting to have a written record of a disease that we can identify as the same disease. That is very impressive. And it must mean that uh, there were some very obvious, distinct symptoms that the Egyptians were aware of. Yeah, I'd be really interested to look further into that paper and understand. Well, I'll include it in the uh, references then. Yay! There have been some other fun examples. So, there's also a Hellenistic statue in Smyrna that dates back to 323 BC, which seems to display some of the symptoms. Okay, on a statue? Yeah, I haven't seen the picture of it, but uh, I'm definitely going to take a look into it afterwards. And there's also coinage of the Parthians kings, dating back to 247 BC, that seem to display, I guess, uh, a form that indicates the uh, condition. Hmm, a coin is a very small object to display these things on. Yes, I'd be guessing that there must be something like tumours running along certain lines or something like that. I have no idea how they concluded that one. Okay. So we'll take a further look into the into the artistic representations and maybe post some links on Twitter when I've had some time to look at them. Yeah, that's that's more your specialty than mine. Yeah. So we've got quite an old record for this condition. Yeah. Almost as old as it can get, as far as written records are concerned. Pretty old, pretty old. So with that, we know it's a very old condition. However, there have been no explicit studies on dating of the disease itself. Some of this is probably because of how frequently it's associated with random mutations. However, interestingly, the disease can be found in cows, and if damselfish catch a particular virus, they also produce neurofibromatosis-like symptoms. However, that's only two species examples, so it's not particularly informative 
for us to try and work out a origin by proxy. So why is this mutation around? Well, the fact that it commonly occurs through random mutation means that being selected against in a population is kind of irrelevant for its continuation, because it will just randomly occur again. Okay, so it's not going to be kind of naturally selected out of the gene pool. Yeah, it's neither selected for or nor against, really, because it will just appear again. It's just a mistake that keeps happening? Just a very, very random mistake, yes. Interestingly, though, scientists do seem to know how the random mutation occurs, at least in NF1. Okay. Do you want to learn how? Yeah. Now, I do warn you, this bit gets a little complicated. Oh, no. So sometimes during meiosis, which is that process when the cell divides to produce sex cells, so egg or sperm, okay, there is an instance where the chromosomes line up in your body. So you have 23 pairs of chromosomes, and they all line up with their matching chromosome, and then they shoot to opposite sides of the cell, and the cell splits, and then you end up with two cells that have one copy of each chromosome. And that's how you have half the DNA coming from your mum and half the DNA coming from your father. Okay. Now, one thing that the chromosomes can do before they split is that they can cross over and they can exchange some genes with each other. Okay, so you have all your chromosomes lined up for their line dance and they swing their partners around and might exchange some bits with each other. Yeah. One of them's taken the other person's hat, and the other person took their bracelet. Great. So then they split off, and... They form these gametes, or sex cells. So, so then they split off, one takes the other's hat, the other takes their bracelet, and they're no longer exactly the same chromosome they were before. Yes. Okay. Now, sometimes... Can you tell I'm really proud of myself for that example? Yes, I can tell. <laughs> That was a pretty good analogy, to be fair. Why, thank you. You're welcome. Now, sometimes during this meiosis, that exchange, if it happens, can happen improperly. So maybe you pass over 90% of the gene to one of them, and the other one passes over the whole gene. So one chromosome has an improper gene with some deletions in it. And if that happens, then that gene's not got a functional NF1. So, when the chromosomes lined up and dosy doed, they meant to take the whole pair of shoes, but accidentally just took one shoe. Yeah. And now can no longer walk well. Yeah, that's a fair enough analogy for it. Yeah. So, in that situation, when the gamete or sex cell is formed, it has this mutation in the gene that the parent never had. Okay, so that's how you get random mutations? Yes, that's, well, that's how you get this random mutation. Okay. Interestingly, for reasons that I do not know, this is more often inherited from your mother than your father. But also, in some instances, this crossover has happened post-fertilization. So when the egg and the sperm have mixed together, the chromosomes have again crossed over and exchanged some DNA. And this might be why, for example, you have some features that are very like one parent whilst being almost identical to the prior parent, because only one of your chromosomes will be active once the egg has been fertilized by the sperm. 
Wait, what? So you have all your chromosomes, all in their pairs, and half of them don't work? Half of them just switch off, and they're like backup data that you can pass on to the next generation. So you're carrying around all those extra chromosomes, and they don't actually do anything for you? Unless they have dominant genes in them, yeah. Whoa. But this post-fertilization mutation we know happens because there has been a recorded instance where two identical twins were born, so they had identical DNA at fertilization. However, one of the twins had NF1, which meant that when the embryos split to form the two twins, at some point the chromosomes must have crossed over after that and exchanged the DNA improperly. So one of the twins' chromosomes decided to do an extra dosy do and trade some genetic material. And so even though everything else was identical, one twin got an F? Yes. That's so cool. I mean, not cool for the twin that got an F, but still. Yeah. So I also decided I'd make another attempt at getting a proxy date for this condition. And the way I did it was through trying to look up proteins in other groups that are similar to the human one. So I did this searching for the protein that is encoded by NF1, and I found it to be in Nidaria, which is the group with jellyfish and anemones and all those wiggly things that you hate. <sighs> and it's also found in insects and amphibians. Now, So everyone has the protein... So, so everyone has the tumour police. A lot of them seem to, yes. So all these groups are able to reproduce sexually, therefore meiosis occurs, so they have the potential for creating that mutation. And based on common ancestry and whether or not the groups could sexually reproduce, it's possible that the potential for having this random mutation that causes neurofibromatosis has existed for hundreds of millions of years. So potentially half a billion years. Okay. So when did we figure out what this was? Well, even though this has potentially existed for half a billion years, and we have records of it dating back to the Ebers Papyrus, 1500 BC, we did not formally describe the condition and characterize it until 1882, when Friedrich Daniel von Ricklinghausen was the one who characterised it, and modest as many people were back then, he named it after himself. That's a much more exciting name for the disease, to be fair. What, von Ricklinghausen disease? Yeah. At least you can abbreviate neurofibromatosis to NF, and although neurofibromatosis is a mouthful, NF1 is easier to say than von Ricklinghausen disorder. Yeah, but it sounds less like an evil villain. So what are the treatment options now for people with NF? Well, currently, there are some gene therapies that are being tested. So they're not available yet, but people have been testing whether or not we can replace the NF1 gene in patients using gene therapy. And in April 2020, there was also a drug called selumetinib, which was approved in the United States for the treatment of children with NF1. And this was a tablet that could be taken twice a day to reduce tumours. So this is really recent. 
So they've figured out how to make a tumor police pill? Basically, yeah. Wow. And it doesn't seem to be like a hardcore chemo drug or anything like that either. So this seems like a much more tolerable thing that could be taken long term. So we could be seeing some big breakthroughs now in the treatment of NF. Yes, potentially. That's really exciting. What is it like for people living with this disease? What is the stigma around it? Well, the general stigma is people judging you based on your appearance. Obviously, if you get a lot of brown spots and you have lots of lumps, people can be quite judgmental. And particularly now with loads of people airbrushing their skin on photos and covering themselves up and modifying how they look, there's a lot of pressure to look a certain way, which isn't really possible if you have some of these tumours growing. This could really impact somebody's self-image and self-esteem. Yes, and I would say that this is less to do, in my opinion, this is less to do with the condition itself and more to do with the direction society is heading in. So the main thing for lifting this kind of stigma is to not judge people on their appearance, which sounds very simple, but unfortunately we do inherently do that. And films and media encourage that. We often see things like the evil individual have scars or warts or will have these bumps and tumours. And this forceful association of skin disorders or tumours with being an evil, malignant person does not help. So we need to separate ourselves from what, this, what uh, media kind of portrays of some of these aesthetics that are unavoidable. unavoidable if someone develops tumours in visible areas. And we also sensationalise um, extreme body disfigurements a lot, don't we? Yes. So with this, this condition, the best thing to do for patients would be to be patient and non-judgmental, quite simply. As always, just be nice to people. Yeah, it's not that difficult and it doesn't cost you anything. This has been a really cool one to learn about because I certainly had never heard of it before. No, I hadn't either. And the reason it was brought to my attention was that this month is actually Neurofibromatosis Awareness Month. Well, I feel very aware. Yeah, uh, that's why I thought that we needed to record it this month and release it, because it's useful to raise that awareness for people and allow people to understand a bit more. So, kind of near the end now, so um, do you want to see some of the recommended reading? Yeah, let's go for it. The first source, which is a very interesting one, and it's uh, where we got the information about the Ebers papyrus uh, having records of neurofibromatosis, is Early History of the Different Forms of Neurofibromatosis from Ancient Egypt to the British Empire and Beyond, First Descriptions, Medical Curiosities, Misconceptions, Landmarks, and the Persons Behind the Syndromes, by Ruggieri et al., Another source that was really interesting was Unequal Myotic Crossover, a Frequent Cause of NF1 Microdeletions by Korea et al. The music today is produced, as it always is, by William Kitchener Music. Now, before we sign off, I think it's fair to say be kind to everyone, because you can't always see the genes, so don't expect to see the illness. Goodbye. Bye.